Now we're going to sit together. You're in a safe place where you won't be distracted by all the all the people calling you or things screaming at you, like your dirty dishes or your bed to be made up or chores you can do at home. So now you're in a place where you're so you can allow your minds to settle down. So we can take advantage of this space that's dedicated to this purpose. So let your body relax. All that other stuff is wait, will be waiting for you when you leave. Let your back feel straight and lifted up. Work with your own body and your own back. So don't make it painful. Don't make it be a painful position. We want to be as comfortable as we can be and stay awake. Be able to stay awake and be attentive. If we're uncomfortable, we'll be drawn to that discomfort, distracted by it. Take one or two deep breaths in and out, and then come back to your natural, normal breath. With each breath in, you can just breathe in the the cooler air as our seasons begin to change, and the peacefulness of the building. And as you exhale, just breathe out gratitude. Gratitude for this place, gratitude for the time we've taken,
We'll begin with a short loving-kindness practice, and then we'll go into this regular mindfulness. So think of yourself in a loving, kind way. Metta is that friendliness and goodwill and kindness. So we breathe in Breathe in and send those good thoughts to yourself first. We're always balancing taking care of ourselves and also being available for others. We don't want to get out of balance with that. So we take care of ourselves. We learn how to be good to ourselves how to be kind to ourselves. And what it means to take care of ourselves. May I be well. May I be free from fear and worry and anxiety. May I be contented and have moments of joy and happiness. May I feel safe in this world. And may I be at peace. And we just keep repeating these phrases to ourselves. You may have your own phrases you like to use. But we're sending blessings with these good wishes to ourselves. May I be well, may I feel safe, may I be content, may I be at peace.
Now think of your family members, your loved ones. <coughs> and send the same wishes to your loved ones, the people you're closest to. Might even be your pets. May my loved ones be well. May they feel safe in the world. May they be content. May they live in peace. Now let's send out the same quality of metta, of goodwill, of kindness. Friendliness to all beings throughout the universe. Human beings and non-human beings. May all beings everywhere be free from anger and fear and worry. May all beings be free from suffering and its causes. May all beings be free from hunger and thirst and the bad weather we have and the bad conditions on the planet due to climate. And may all beings be able to care for themselves or be cared for lovingly by others. And may all beings, human and non-human, those being born and those dying, be at peace.
Now come back to the sensations of your breath. Just allow yourself to be aware of everything, everything going on around you, everything your senses are picking up on. and everything within you. Be aware of your own body's reaction to what your senses are bringing into you. Everything from your thoughts, and if your eyes are, even if your eyes are closed, you have probably some light or images playing on your eyelids. your thoughts, your vision, your smell, your sense of hearing, your sense of taste, your sense of contact. Be aware of what's coming into you and be aware of your reactions to those things at a subtle level. So when we, when we see thoughts arise, which they will, we can just notice it's a thought, or we can label the thought if it's an angry thought, or what that thought arises as for you, just a word. But then just let it go. All of the reactions you feel, just aware of them, be observing them, but let them go. Don't get sidetracked by them. Don't let them become a distraction. Just keep letting go. Don't hold on to anything. Just be aware. If you become restless, you can observe that before you make a move or start to uh, change your posture. You might want to check and see, do I need to change because my body is 
maybe uh, getting cramped or there's a pain? Or do I want to move because I'm restless or bored? Just observe that for a second or two before you make any move. See if it just passes over. If you find you've become completely distracted, just come back to your breath and start over. Just relax. Stay with your breath. Focus on your own reactions to the world, the physical world right now.
Now as we come to the end of our practice, we can use the merit that we've earned from our practice and from being here. May all that I do today, my thoughts, my actions, my speech, be done not only for my own benefit, but for the benefit of all others. Just think that at the end of each meditation you can dedicate yourself to right speech and right action, right thinking, not only for yourself, but everyone, everyone you are in contact with and with other beings that we don't even know. Thank you. Let me get the chanting book. So if you're new, we begin on page four, I think. Namo tas... Sorry. I'm sorry, that was too high. Namo tase bhagavato arehato sammasambuddhase Namo tase bhagavato arehato Sama Sambuddhase Namo Tase Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhase Buddhang Sadenang Gachami Dhammang Sadenang Gachami Sangang Sadenang Gachami Dutiampi Buddhang Sadenang Gachami Dutiampi Dhammang Sadenang Gachami Dutiampi Sangang Sarenang Gachami Tatiampi Buddhang Sarenang Gachami Tatiampi Dhammang Sarenang Gachami Tatiampi Sangang Sarenang Gachami Anicca Vata Sankara Upadevaya Dhammino Upajitva Nirujanti Te sang upa samosuko 
Sabe Santa Avera Hundu Sabe Santa Abya Paja Hundu Sabe Santa Aniga Hundu Sabe Santa Sukiyatanam pariharantu Manopupangyamadama Manoseta manomaya Manasache padutena Pasatiwa karotiwa Tato nang dukkha man waiti Chakang vavaha topadam Manopupangyamadama Manoseta manomaya Manasache pasanena Pasatiwa karotiwa Tato nang sukha manweti Chaya wa paini Mind is a forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind made are they. If with a corrupted mind, one should either speak or act, suffering follows caused by that, as does the wheel follow the ox's hoof. Mind is a forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind made are they. If with a clear and confident mind, one should either speak or act, Happiness follows caused by that, as one shadow that never leaves. We believe in generosity towards others. We believe the skillful, noble path is marked by generosity. We believe generosity has many levels. Think generously, speak generously, act generously. We believe generosity is the heart of our spiritual practice. And this practice allows us to become more open, accepting, and forgiving. We believe extending generosity to ourselves and others is a direct way of healing division, bringing joy, and nurturing this spiritual community for years to come. May I become, at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, 
May I never join with the unwise, only the wise, till the time I attain nirvana. So I have a a mixture of things I wanted to talk about today. Um, Tonight we have the uh, art and sutta grouping, and the group keeps keeps getting bigger and bigger, I think, Tessa. She said there were 13 people signed up, and just a few days ago it was, there were eight, and we were really happy with eight. And then it got to 10, and so we decided we're going to be really happy with 10, and now it's at 13. So we're, we're studying, we're doing, Erin uh, Dank is, uh, is on our board, and she's also an art therapist. And she's an artist as well. So she and I have been doing things since the pandemic began, where we're combining the suttas and art, or uh, uh, similes and suttas with art. We've done several different things. So we did classes, art classes during uh, COVID, which was a challenge to do art on Zoom. Um, But this is our first class that we have everybody here at the temple. So it's uh, we we do a uh, usually we have a once a month uh, art and meditation that we do, but this is the first kind of ongoing class that, that we haven't done on Zoom. But um, it's on the Eightfold Path, and uh, just a couple of things from some I've been rereading. I have a stack of books that all that cover the Eightfold Path, but I have lots of notes and I have lots of uh, articles and uh, some of the things from the books that I've read, there were just two interesting images that I was uh, reading about yesterday. And one is, uh, you know, we always see the Eightfold Path, usually we see it as a circle. And so we have each part of the path and the part, and you know the Eightfold Path is the, the, the fourth part of the Four Noble Truths. So the way out of suffering is to uh, live the Eightfold Path, live those qualities. And, and one thing that I really liked that I read said, those qualities create the conditions in our lives that allow us to let go of suffering. And so that's what allows us to you know, we're not going to ever be able to let go of the suffering of sickness and old age and birth and death. Uh, there's always that kind of suffering that we go through. But most of the suffering that, we, that exists for us is what we do in our minds, the way we interpret things or think about things or, you know, the way we worry and the way we, um, you know, all the things we do are in our head. So this was, sa- this was saying, and I had never quite heard the Eightfold Path, just, it was just one sentence about it that said, living the Eightfold Path creates conditions in our lives. So, we, so whatever we're doing becomes uh, a way to, to develop that letting go of the suffering that we carry around in our minds. So those are the conditions we're working for to live that way. So eventually, we just become that path because we've, we've looked at all of these conditions in our life and we work on them constantly. 
So the we become the path instead of having to think about it like, oh, am I doing am I studying that part of the path? Or, we just become those we become that. And then another uh book was saying uh and I think it's in the book that we're reading for book, the book group now. The Eightfold Path is not like do this, then do this. You know, we don't do these eight things. She said, it's like, it's like being on an eight-lane highway, superhighway. So everything's going on at once. You know, it's all, it's all in motion. It's all somewhere. So whatever we're doing when we're studying the Buddhist teachings or any other true spiritual teachings, what we're always doing is we're, we're on that one of the factors, one of those parts of the path is in motion in us. You know, it's we're thinking about it, we're living it, we're, we're realizing this is where we're, this is where the conditions are not right for a good, a good, uh, context for us for our lives. So I like that eight-lane highway as an image for the eightfold path, because we get stuck on it being linear, and we get stuck on well, you start here and you go all the way around, and and it shouldn't be that. It's all happening at the same time. We're looking at conditions in our own lives that are keeping us from enjoying liberation. So the things that keep us, the things that keep us uh, worrying and having regret and uh, the having uh, the wrong intentions when we do things, and we, and you know, all of the qualities in the path are just we're taught a way to have beautiful conditions, create create those beautiful conditions in our lives that allow things just to flower for us and allow us to very easily, when those conditions are all operating, it's much easier It's easier to sit down and meditate when you're not worried or frustrated or angry at someone. And uh, I, have, I have a friend going through really difficult family issues and I keep asking her, are you practicing every day? Are you sitting every day? And she keeps saying, no, I can't. Because I get so upset or I get so angry. I sit down to, to meditate and I can't do it. Well, she's, she's really not creating the condition in her life to then not suffer from all of the problems that she's hearing. You know, she can't distance herself she can't put any distance between taking care of herself and and taking care of ourselves no matter what we're going through is possible to do you know like if you're if you're going through something and it's so tough that you can't practice then you're missing out on the basic self-care that you need even if it's 3 minutes a day or 5 minutes a day if we don't have that you know quiet space that we know is like a sanctuary for us, then it's so much easier to get caught up in, in all of those uh, difficult emotions. <clears throat> or we just stop. We stop doing what we think of as our daily, what, what we do during the day that keeps us 
in touch with our hearts and our minds and, and that keeps us in touch with the Eightfold Path or the Four Noble Truths, when we get so caught up in the world that we just, there are those periods I can remember of just kind of dropping everything. And uh, it's like life is too much. Life, life is <clears throat> demanding too much. Or problems are too great. You know, you can't take time. And I'm not talking about uh, going to a spa for a spa day. That's that. I mean, sometimes that's what we. The only thing we think of is self-care, or or eating a chocolate cake kind of thing. But it's that self-care of what we know uh, is helping us set up those beautiful conditions in our life that give us a sanctuary that give us a refuge from these problems that are going to come up over and over again. You know, it gives us a place to be in our lives that it that we are taken care of. And so we can't we can try not to ever let them all go let it all go. And I think maybe the number one thing would be find at least three to five minutes in your day where you sit down and let go. Just try to let go of all of that. Um, our perceptions that tell us we can't, you know, we even have the belief often, I can't be uh, not angry at this person who's doing something to someone I love. Like, I have to be angry. I have to have, uh, I have to confront that person, or I have to just be angry, <laughs> whether not doing anything because we can't do anything about a situation, we feel like we have to be emotionally involved. And uh, that, can be, that can be the most painful. That can give us the most suffering. And it's hard to let that go. But if we even have a little tiny space in our day where we can practice letting go, just letting go of the anger, of the sadness, just kind of let it fall away while we're sitting. That that can that can help us begin to see, you know. Oh, I'm not I'm not loving someone less uh, because I'm, you know, I'm angry at all the people hurting them. If I let go of that for a few minutes, it's not hurting. It's it's not hurting me. It's not hurting the person. I, it's not helping or hurting the person I'm angry with. And it's certainly when we hang on to that anger for. The benefit of our loved ones, it's not helping them either, but it's but it's causing everybody to suffer. So the eightfold path, just uh, you know, the more the more you read about it, and the more you see what a how what a good tool it is. Um, sometimes I think we overlook it a lot. We know about it. We know it's part of the four noble truths, and it's the it's the but it is absolutely the the key it's the it's what helps us get through the whole this whole path that the buddha set up um so revisit it if you haven't lately and think about uh think about seeing it as these are the things that are going to create the conditions and once we've created those conditions they're there for us you know it's the way we are and that's why that one author, author said, you are the Eightfold Path. 
So the conditions in your life are there for you to have uh, peace and kindness, and then you're able to have uh, right intentions all the time. So they they all just fold back into each other. And that was one of the other images. I took some notes from some things I was reading about uh, we fold all of these parts in. It was like a recipe, the way the person was writing about it. And uh, it was we, we fold one part of the path into the next part. It, as we study them, you know, we usually study them one at a time. But the author was having that image of making, be like making uh, muffins or, you know, where you just, you're, you're folding things in and you, you're doing it gently, but it's got to all be put in there together before you have the right mixture that's going to bake right. And I really love that image. So it's good when you can find images to help you see things and uh, kind of a, a nice image to have in your mind when you're feeling frustrated or when, when you feel overwhelmed. And I know it can be overwhelming when you're just trying to study the teachings because there's too much to choose from. You know, there's a lot to choose from to study. But everything we learn, I think everything we learn just can be folded in, you know, and become, we don't have to keep all those little bitty pieces sort of set like little separate units of information. We begin to see how they all fold in together. So the other thing I was going to share with you, um, I had to, after we had book group last night on Zoom, I had to go and do a talk with a women's group in Crystal Lake. And I had created so much anxiety for myself that I had to, I, I knew a long time ahead of time I was going to have to do this talk. So I, I watched myself create anxiety about it. I, for months, I had months to do that. <laughs> And uh, and it turned out to be just lovely, and it was just a, a, a really nice conversation. It was a big group. I'm not big. It was about 30, 30 people, maybe. But it was, uh, you know, it was a lovely group. And then I, they, their questions fueled it too. So, and they all had these really good questions, and they had questions about Buddhism. And the, the talk was about, it was funny that the, the person who contacted me and I'd met with months ago had given me one topic, and then the woman who introduced me to do the, to do the talk had a different topic. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I, wait a minute. The folk, my focus had been, uh, they had asked about the role of women, the, the first person who contacted me and I met with said, We've, we'd like to know about uh, the role that women have in Buddhism. Because we've had other people from other uh, religions talk about the role women play in those religions. And uh, where is Marion's husband? Is he here? He, there's a, a person who's... Uh, the, the woman, the group, representative who talked to me, her husband meditates here. So, um, you know, they, he knows quite a bit about Buddhism. So they were interested, and he had, he had told her, well, 
maybe they could talk to me because there was had been a woman nun at the temple. So um, I was thinking they wanted to know about women in general in Buddhism, like how are women treated. And uh, then when she announced, when she stood up and said that I was going to talk about uh, what what how has being a Buddhist nun affected my life as a a woman in this country. So it was like, it was a, the whole thing was sort of a big a shift in a different direction. So it worked out okay. And uh, uh, their questions were wonderful, but there was really a lot of interest. And, you know, most, they, most, most people have, um, they have their own path, their spiritual path. And you don't, don't usually, if you're in one path, you don't get out and, explore others so if you if you're if you're doing one it's it is hard to know what's going on with others unless you take a lot of maybe maybe your the group you're in has uh, uh, world religion classes and you know a lot of times kids are taught about world religions in school but most people even if they're curious about something they're they're not exploring they're kind of in their in their path and that's so they're very curious about different things but they are also curious about um, I said when I was talking that I and this was something I hadn't really thought about for myself very much until recently I grew up in a church that was very fundamentalist and so uh, they still uh, don't allow women to preach and they and and some things that I had not even remembered because I left the church when I was 18, but when I would go back to Houston, I'd always take my mom to church. And uh, they women aren't even allowed, if they have an all-church meeting, and you know, the majority of members are women usually, the women cannot vote on anything. So they the men can vote. So there might be 30 women and seven men, and the men vote, and the women the women can't vote. And the women can't even raise their hands and ask a question. And I had, and I was at one of those meetings. They have the meetings after church. And I was there with my mother, and my mouth just went because the minister very nicely said, "And if any of the women have questions, you can ask maybe your husband." To, and I thought I didn't. I didn't realize that it was to that. Uh, yeah, that bad. <laughs> it was just kind of horrifying. So they can't become ministers, and they can't uh, teach men. So they can teach children, and they can teach women. But and I, I really didn't even know that that they couldn't teach a, a class of uh, adult men. So they couldn't even teach teenagers. And um, they can't be elders, and they can't be deacons. And so, when a church gets small enough, where the men, when the men start dying off, uh, and they, and of course, you can't be an elder or a deacon if you've been divorced, or you know, there are lots of conditions. And some people think you you have to have children, and if your children grow up, they you can't. They're, they're, they don't live with you, so you can't even be a deacon or an elder if your children don't live with you. The, I mean, the rules are, it's, it's kind of like the, 
you know, nuns and monks have 200 and something rules uh, when you take your vows. But these rules about the, the role of women in, the, in this fundamentalist church. And I, I asked my mother after that one, I said, women can't vote? You're talking about things like, I don't know what time the service should start or uh, what do we want to do about this repair? Do we want they, they, uh, The women, of course, will clean the church, but they can't vote on <laughs> maybe, you know, buying a new vacuum cleaner or something. <laughs> and it was, uh, I, had, I hadn't realized the depth of that repression of women. And when I asked my mother about it, you know, all that, they just, everybody just says, well, that's in the script, that's in the New Testament. So, uh, you know, I, I would often dare her to show me the verses, but as she got older, as she got older, she couldn't see, so she would say, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't see. She couldn't see well enough to find them. But, uh, <laughs> These were, and these were lovely people, and most, uh, the majority were professional. And I, and there were, some of the the women were, you know, had high, there were a few women who had very high administrative jobs, uh, with the with the city of Houston, and some with universities. There were some professors, and I thought, the only way you could be sitting here in this church is if you come from a very long line of you know, a tra- it's a family tradition. But I thought, how can you be like a professor at the, a huge university in Houston, and you and you you'll sit there and you know, if, if one woman didn't have a husband, so I don't know who she turned to if she had a question. <laughs> you know, that maybe women would go privately to the minister or one of the elders or deacons. But that church became so small, and they had. They didn't have enough men who thought that they fit the role for being elders and or deacons that they ended up having to uh, they in the last few years have had to uh, I don't know what they call it when they they have to dissolve the congregation so they have to sell they sold the building and people go to other churches of the same denomination but it's so it, it's kind of uh, you know it wasn't open it not not letting women hold some of those positions actually caused the end of the church. Now, if you want to split away from the church, you have to be a man doing that too. So, you know, it's it's a kind of church where people split and start their new churches because of disagreement and how they read a scripture. Well, don't they all start new churches? <laughs> they there are lots of splits. There are lots of so so even when this church dissolved because they got so small and didn't have enough men, uh, there there are other congregations of the same church that they wouldn't go to maybe because they had split off. That church had split off from them years ago over a, a matter of uh, you know. The, what what their beliefs are. I mean, one big belief was whether we should have church on Sunday evening or not. And there was a big split uh, 
So that, that created another church. So there are things like that. But the women can't be in charge of any of that. But um, it, that made me realize, that just kind of had hit me so much, even things that I didn't remember from being a teenager, that, were, that are still embedded in that faith. And that was one of the things that I thought, wow, when I think about Buddhism, there are some, there's a lot of patriarchy in Buddhism in the cultures where it's practiced. And you see it much less in America and in, with Western Buddhists because it's, this is the culture. But there is that, just like there is in most other churches. But you think about the people who are teachers in the, in the Buddhist world and there's no difference in the there in the status when you think about western teachers you know some of the first names that come to mind are people like Pema Chodron and Joan Halifax Sharon Salzberg and Tara Brock and you know they're just they're teacher and they're they're in, incredible teachers that I knew as nuns um, and they're in this culture women are respected and you you know even even in American churches most Protestant churches, women, their majority of the ministers these days are women. And so um, it's, I think in Buddhism, there, we, we see patriarchy, and there's some, there, there's some of that probably in, well, in the Catholic Church, there's a lot of patriarchy. <laughs> that might be the definition of it. But... Uh, you know there are a lot of incredible nuns in the Catholic Church who are who are some of the 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 strongest voices, and so I think that's one thing about Buddhism that that was uh, is very clear to me. And and even talking to the women last uh, yes last night, you know I could see that's important. It's very important that this is a path where. You know, the Buddha, even when the Buddha was resistant about letting women become monastics, uh, he, he had concerns about it. But when Ananda asked him, do you think women, are women like different? Are women not able to become enlightened? And the Buddha said, no, of course women aren't. Women have, women are exactly like men in terms of their their minds and their abilities to become enlightened and to be on the path. I think his concerns were completely about um, this. This was a culture he lived in where women just were under the control of their families until they married, and then they were under the control of their husbands and the husband's family. And so to talk about having women become these mendicants wearing robes and uh, you know going out and getting their food in a bowl. Uh, I think he thought that would just be such social upheaval that it would be that that would just destroy his the order that he had started. And and I think he was convinced after realizing it was something he couldn't deny women that. Uh, that he said, "Okay, women can be ordained. Women can, women can be monks." And uh, 
I think it would be a very different uh, institution, a very different feel if it was if women hadn't been allowed to do that and have and so that meant women could be teachers and women could be you know have temples and women could have monasteries where pe- women could go to study so we should be proud of that of that tradition and and of the and a, that's that's one of the things i think uh we can see clearly that without whatever our backgrounds are that's something we can see the reality of when we when we see the people just in our sangha so anyway that's what i wanted to share with you today so kind of a combo of <laughs> but thank you for for listening <laughs>